Okay, good afternoon or good morning. This is Andrew Newman and Kelly Jackson. Good evening and good night. Good afternoon, good evening and good night. We are with, well, I'm with RUF at USF and Kelly is also with RUF at FRCR. And what we've been doing this semester, as, as many of you know, if you've been a long time listener, is going through the Apostles' Creed and um, the if you kind of look at the whole of the Apostles' Creed, there really is a focus on the um, uh, on Christ, and um, a lot of words are spent on um, his life, his death, his resurrection, um, and then you you kind of get to the end where we're at now, and things are almost like named off quickly in categorical fashion. So we looked at last week the we we believe in the Holy Spirit. And now we're looking at um, the church. And so these kind of bigger concepts that a lot of ink has been still discussing, um, but we're gonna try to cover kind of in a broad fashion. So I'm glad that you're listening. And what we're gonna look at today is the, uh, this, this phrase, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church the communion, and the communion of saints. So that's kind of how I figured we break it down is the, Catholic, the Holy Catholic Church and then the communion of saints. And so first in reference to the holiness of the church, um, if you ever have heard that term for the holy church, the holy Catholic church, this holiness is not in reference to um, maybe what you think of holiness as, like this intrinsic righteousness, but rather the, the holiness is in reference to the church as being set apart from the world. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the church is called to be... Um, not of the world, not um, not one institution among many in the world, but rather it's to be in the world. So it's set apart, but even though it's still in the world, um, actually the denomination that Kelly and I are both a part of is called the Presbyterian Church in America. And I think they were very, from what I've heard, they're very intentional about not being Presbyterian Church of America because they wanted to um, know themselves as a church set apart from the world, um, not of the world. So anyways, it's a reference to this, um, this idea that the church is set apart, but it really began in the Old Testament with the people of God or the Israelites. Um, they were called the people of God, um, the, the set, set apart people of God, and then it continues into the church in the New Testament as a set apart community. And there's really two, two words um, that I think bring to mind this idea. The first these are both Greek, uh, Greek words, but they, they communicate to us um, what the church is. The first is um, ekklesia, which is uh, just a Greek term saying that those who are set apart or set apart ones, um, where we get the term ecclesiastical or ecclesiology, the study of the church. And mm -hmm. then the second, if I, I may mispronounce this, and I'm picking this up from um, a book written by R.C. Sproul on the Apostles' Creed, um, Kyriaki. Sounding sounds like what Kelly? Not to be confused with teriyaki. Not to be confused with teriyaki, but the Greek term. And once again, Kelly, you Kelly actually did great with Greek and Hebrew in seminary, so he can correct me if I'm getting these wrong. But one is Kyrios means Lord. Is that right? Yeah. In Greek. And so what that Kyriaki means is those who belong to the Lord is really where we get our our English word church from. Um, so the church is made up of the set apart ones who belong to the Lord Jesus. So anyways, those two words, I think, help us to understand the nature of the church 
but uh, just as a as a discussion question, Kelly, how yeah. are we to be how are we to be separate from the world if we are a part of the church, you know, true believers, um, and it's it's at the very foundation of who and what the church is. Um, how are we to be separate from the world? What are maybe some ideas that come to come to mind? Yeah, I mean, I think it starts with. Um, how we view ourselves, I think, I think like my, my name is Kelly Jackson. I was given that name by my parents. Uh, that informs who I am. Caroline and I were very intentional with the names we chose for our kids, as I know y'all were, uh, Andrew, but like you see throughout Paul's letters, I was trying to find a good example. Um, but oftentimes, uh, he uses, he uses language to talk about like uh, Colossians 3.12. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Like he's using terms to say, this is who you are. It's kind of like what we're talking about. The holiness of the church is not, it's not uh, that we're intrinsically naturally holy. God is saying, no, no, no. I, just like he chose Israel, I choose you. You, you belong to me, Israel or Andrew, Kelly, you belong to me you are holy, you are beloved. And so it's an identity thing. That mm-hmm. Like God, God made us, he's the creator. Uh, but Jesus, his son redeemed God, the father, uh, you know, is, is his will is unfolding. He sends his son and Jesus gives us a new identity that even Adam and Eve did not have as simply the, you know, the king, the queen who were ruling over uh, creation after the fall, Jesus now says in me, you are holy and beloved sons and daughters. And so I think that's where it starts. Uh, believing who God says we are, uh, or else I'm going to continue to identify myself as, you know, primarily husband, father, um, or, you know, in my shame and my sin, well, this is who I am in my shame. This is who I am in my, in my sin. But throughout the New Testament, that's just one example in Colossians 3. Uh, and that's in the putting on the new self uh, section where Paul says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, set your mind on things that are above, not what's on earth. And then he talks about you've got to put off the old self. You've got to put on the new self. And you've got to live in the identity that Jesus gives you now. Um, so I feel like that's a big one. But I want to punt it right back to you, Andrew. What would you say? How are we? Take the orb, the beach ball. I would say that, um, well, I, I was th- as you were talking, I was kind of thinking, um, and you helped me kind of jog my memory a little bit, but um, the, the world, uh, I think we, like, sometimes we get confused with that terminology, like the world, how we're supposed to be separate and different from the world. Mm. Um, well, and I, well, I was just thinking, like, I, I, I thought of this. Cosmos, if you will. Cosmos, cosmos much. Um, but first, the, the first John 2 passage where it says, um, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. So that's kind of, when you talk about the world, those are the, world, those are the three things that kind of come to mind. It comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. And I, so I think not being of the world as an institution. So if we think of the corporate body of the church, I think it's just supposed to look different than yes. the institutions of this world. And so, um, yeah. you know, if you, 
any any kind of institution like it, you have to think almost on a systematic level how does it operate and what are the like whether it's um cutthroat business corporation kind of world or it's um small tight-knit communities that don't allow others in like the world or sorry the church is meant to be very different from all these and yet we're called to be in it so there's there's this kind of constant battle of being um different from the world and, and being surrounded by it so it's like we want to be a witness be salt and light um but then not become over we don't want to be overtaken by the world's mentality so that we just become another institution in it yeah you know? if i can add so I, I bring attention to the word cosmos uh like cosmic you know that's where we get this uh or we get the word cosmic from that greek word cosmos but uh john three sixteen, one of the most popular passages that people know so well for god so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him uh should not perish but have eternal life Cosmos is used there, and I remember a seminary professor saying, John constantly uses that term, and, and by using that, that, that term world, he is, he is not meaning, uh, oh, the whole world. He's meaning that which is opposed to God um, in this context and, and in other places like you were saying. He's saying, man, isn't it amazing that God would love, you know, a people that were opposed to him? enough to send his son uh to die for them and yeah like you just said the kind of the in the world and of the world and i think of jesus's uh i can't remember if i talked about this last time but i just looked at the passage where jesus says to render to caesar what is caesar's and render to god what's god's on that coin i think a denarius uh caesar uh, i can't remember which caesar it was at that time but on one side of that coin it said um you know uh, that he was son of, you know, this person and, uh, and it had his head on the other side. It says that he was the highest priest, like saying that he is, you know, a, a deity, that he is someone to be worshiped. And in many ways, Jesus was saying, no, he's not. And so to your point, like, but Jesus, you know, throughout John also, he's saying, um, the, you're giving these these people to me and I'm praying for them and there's some who don't know you yet and they're going to hear this message and be converted and I'm leaving the world and they're going to be in the world. Um, and so he's like, he wants Christians to be in the world, but he gives us a new citizenship that we did not have before. Um, and so it's so crazy to think like now, Andrew, you and I and other Christians, we are set apart. Um, and we are those who belong to the Lord. And so even though we have like U.S. citizenship, we have a greater citizenship now as sons of, of the Father uh, in Jesus. And we belong to another place that we are moving towards. And we've actually, you know, we've never been to that place, but we belong there more than we belong here. And that's such yeah. a already but not yet um, thing that is all over uh, what the church is and called to be. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think it, it, another thing that just came to my mind real quick was that when we're talking about the church being set apart, um, and and this is throughout the Old Testament too, that as Israel was set apart, it wasn't because of anything in them, and it's not. So when you see the church, and you're if you are a member of the church, a part of the church, you're you have faith in Christ, and so you're a part of the church through that. 
Um, it's not because of something like that. It's great about us. In fact, like the whole thing about the old Testament in Israel is that like, that's just who God chose, you know? So it's a, it's a display of God's mercy and love and forgiveness rather than it is anything good within the people. I think it, it just carries over to the church as well. So we're set apart, yeah. not because of, you know, we, we set ourselves apart. We were, we were set apart by God. Um, yeah. And I think my other point too, was that uh, I think this inevitable, because we, because we are set apart from the world and live in, in kind of this tension of being not of the world, but in the world, we're going to come across as weird. And I think um, that should be expected even, you know, to be uh, kind of a funky, funky bunch of people that the world doesn't quite understand. And to those who, uh, you know, the scripture speaks about to those who are perishing, um, Mm. it's, uh, an aroma of death, but to those who are being saved, it's an aroma of uh, life. And I think that's the thing. Like when people see the church, I think it's it's, it's kind of those two reactions usually. Yeah. Makes me think of David coming back with the uh, the ark as well. And I think it was Michal, his wife, who is like, "What are you doing?" And he says, "I'll be more undignified than this." He's dancing before the Lord. Oh, yeah. And she's just like, you're being ridiculous. And he's like, I'll be un- more undignified than this. Like, I'm worshiping my God. And so, yeah. And I think Paul also says uh, that that God's wisdom and truth, and I can't remember the passage exactly, but looks like foolishness to man. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't make sense because it's sacrificial. It's not about me, you know, in this social media age, giving you a filtered picture of myself to convince you that I'm worth your time. I'm worth a relationship. I'm worth your investment. Christianity is like, we do not have it together. We need Jesus. And the world is like, why would you tell anyone that? You know, why are you admitting all the weakness and the brokenness? Yeah. So yeah. So go ahead. I was just gonna say, I mean, by the new Testament, a big struggle for the Jews was thinking they were all that. Right. Yeah. And a lot of the New Testament is, is Jesus, Paul, and other writers saying, it's not because of who you are. You are not better than other people. Jesus, or God the Father, said, you are mine, and he claims you as his, and it is not because you are, as we've been saying, naturally or intrinsically holy. He, he yeah. makes you holy because he's holy. Yeah. Um. So kind of moving on to the, the second adjective describing the church, and that the church is not only called holy, but it's also called Catholic. And this, there's some confusion there. What's that? Roman Catholic? Is that what we mean? That's not what we mean. It's uh, actually, the, the I don't know the root behind the word or anything, but it actually means universal. And so it's speaking about the church universal, both in time and space, mm-hmm. um, going back to the beginning of the New Testament into the Old Testament with Israel, but also around the world you know this is not an american institution it's not a french institution or an african institution this is it's a global thing um but also the the thing the thing i wanted to bring up was what theologians call the visible and invisible church the visible and invisible um so those who appear on the roles of a church who are members of a church um who claim and kind of make a public profession before others um, they would be considered part of the visible church. Um, but also, I think, that, I mean, even believers yeah. and their children, like Annalise just got baptized. I baptized my, my infant daughter. So she's a non-communing member of 
center point PCA. Mm-hmm. But I would not say she has faith. She hasn't professed. That you know of. You yeah. could, she could, like John the Baptist in the womb. Yeah, baby. Um, so, um, and then there's the invisible um, church, which, is, which speaks to those who, whose professions of faith are genuine. Uh, once again, both in time and space. And the so distinction who, of these. And who people who haven't even lived yet would be members of yeah. the invisible church, right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty cool to think, yeah. Um, and this distinction of the invisible and visible people of God goes once again, once again back to the Old Testament with Israel. That there, you, if you read the history of Israel, there's all these times where it seems like all these people are not acting like what they are professing. Um, but God is constantly saying, I will keep a remnant for myself. And so um, there, there, there will always be this, the true church. Um, the not, what's that? What, are the, what all is it called? I feel like it's called the, the root of Jesse. I think mm-hmm. I'm talking about Jesus. But yeah, like yeah. Oh, a lot of the minor prophets talk about the day of the Lord coming. But, you know, talking about that remnant. Yep. And uh, um, the famous church uh, father, Augustine, spoke of the church. He, he called it a mixed body. Um, and there's actually this um, parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13, uh, the parable of the weeds, that speaks of this reality that there will be, there's the wheat, the good that grows up, but with it grows these weeds. And it's hard. This is not the time to, to make the distinction between the two, um, but rather at the, at the judgment days when, God will um, separate the wheat from the chaff. So a couple questions on this, Kelly. How does this doctrine of the mixed church provide some relief when we look at the church today? Like if we, if we see corruption, if we see hypocrisy, if we see um, all kinds of mess within the church, how does this provide us some relief in thinking about that? I mean, we're both reformed pastors and I, I just rest in the fact that like, even as the church is as broken as it is and people's lives are as broken as they are, uh, that God is calling the elect to himself, that the spirit will move and draw sons and daughters uh, to himself who he calls. And it's one of the, um, the points in tulip irresistible grace. And we're going to talk about, the, the communion of the saints, perseverance of the saints in just a minute, but just this idea that like God is sovereign over uh, human history and over his story of redemption. Even when I look around and I'm discouraged by what I see in my life or, you know, in my church or in my nation or on the other side of the world, because it's a broken, it's a broken place. I mean, it's clear to me from my life and, world history. We need Jesus. We need the hope mm-hmm. of the gospel. Um, but even as, as history continues to unfold, um, this idea of the, the invisible church and, um, you know, God using what seems to be broken. I think of Joseph saying what you, my brothers meant for evil, God used for good. God's still gonna, his church will prevail because it's yeah. his, you know, Jesus is the head of the church, we say, um, and he's the, the head of the body that is the church. He's the, um, the church is the bride of Christ. And because he's connected to it, it's going to stay alive. It's going to thrive. Um, yeah. yeah. That's good. The, um, so we're, I think running out of time a little bit, so moving forward, 
to the last part, the communion of saints. We've already kind of touched on this with the, yeah. speaking about the holiness of the church. Um, but uh, just a brief thing about this as well. This, you know, when we when we think of saints, like I do, at least think of um, Roman Catholicism again, and think of like these people who have made it to sainthood, yeah, yeah, who are worshipped or prayed to, and all this kind of stuff. But really, saints is just a word that means uh, holy ones or set apart ones. Once again. So, it, so when it's when we speak of the communion of saints versus the Holy Catholic Church, we're kind of speaking almost more in an individual level. Um, I mean, with the corporate sense as well, but we're not speaking of the church as a whole. Rather, we're speaking about um, individuals. And I, what came to my mind with this was the Romans 12 passage, um, verse two, that speaks about um, we are to we are not to be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. Um, and once again, the book I'm reading is written by R.C. Sproul, if you've heard of him. And he says that we are called to relate to the world as righteous people. So, Kelly, what, like, what do you think he means by that? Because we're not like we are, once again, not intrinsically righteous. We're becoming righteous. We're being sanctified. But how are we? What does he mean we're, to relate to the world as righteous people? I think it goes back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation. So kind of made it away, made our way around the circle. Um, and I, th I thought of uh, the beginning of Ephesians, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Like we are more and more living in the reality that is the gospel, drawing from the righteousness of Christ. Justification, we believe, is we are declared righteous Sanctification is where, uh, so that's an act of the Holy Spirit on us. Uh, sanctification is a work of the Spirit in us, where that righteousness, it's not just something that's, you know, a blanket over me or where God the Father sees the righteousness of Christ, but actually where the Spirit in me is purifying me and I am growing in righteousness. And again, like you were saying, it's going to look weird. It's going to be otherworldly, um, but where we are beginning to live out our lives sacrificially manifesting things like the fruit of the spirit, um, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Um, the, the new, uh, the new self, like in Colossians, uh, three, like righteousness will start to pour forth from us as we are seeking, uh, the face of Jesus. And, um, we're like you just said, we're transformed. Um, and so we begin to look more and more Christ-like uh, as we are communing with him uh, and as we are uh, unified uh, as the, the body, as the church, worldwide even, um, yeah. as well as locally. That's good. And I think we've run out of time, and that's like a good, that's a good one to end on. Um, but hope you all this got, got you thinking a little bit about the church. Um, and give you a little more clarity even. Um, but I will see y'all, or Megan will see you, um, at our, our small groups this upcoming week. So have a good weekend. And, uh, well, when you get this, you'll be having a good week, I guess. But we'll see you later. I will myself, and then I'll wear you for the night. Colors fading. Pray that the sight